0: Praise the Lord. Well let's start in uh, Acts chapter 1 tonight. We want to continue speaking about the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 1 after Jesus is raised from the dead he spends uh, 40 some odd days with his disciples encouraging them in the things of the Lord and such and then before he's taken up from them out of their sight not to be seen again in the same manner that he's been manifesting himself to them He says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now turn with me over to Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we've talked about this um, uh, pouring out or outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. Obviously, from what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the power that they're looking for is to do the work of the ministry. Well, here it says that the Holy Ghost was poured out in Acts, chapter, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And if we read further down into the chapter, we'd see that uh, Peter stands up and preaches to the crowd and 3,000 people get saved. John Osteen used to say of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and I, I always loved this. I like, just like the way that he put it. He always said that, uh, or he used to say, that uh, Jesus told the disciples after the Great Commission had been given after he told them to go into all the world. Then he said, wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Ghost, receive the power of the Holy Ghost. He said that Jesus told them, in effect, don't even think about having church without the Holy Ghost. I like that. And clearly it was necessary, clearly it was important because of the results that they got from Peter's simple sermon on the day of Pentecost where the 3,000 people, as I said, got saved. And I think it's important for us to, to compare... Acts chapter 1 verse 8 with Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And then in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I think one of the misunderstood truths of Scripture Maybe one of the greatest misunderstandings in the body of Christ is the connection between speaking in tongues and power. Now, folks, if we took the word at face value, and I trust you do, but there's a lot of people that don't, a lot of Christians that don't, well-meaning Christians, people that love God with all their heart and so forth. But if we took the Bible at face value, we would have to make the connection between power and speaking with other tongues. Peter didn't stand up on the day of Pentecost and say, Guys, I don't know what's going on here. Jesus said that he would give us power. But you can see we haven't changed into superhuman or strong men or superman or anything like that. I'm just not sure where the power is. And that seems to be the attitude somewhat, not consciously I'm sure, but that seems to be an attitude of so many in the body of Christ who denigrate and speak against the the, uh, baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. But there's a direct link. Speaking in other tongues is the power of God. You remember, and we've talked about this in other series and and other teachings, we know that the ultimate reason for God creating man and putting him here on the earth is to give him authority. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 says, God said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. And let them have dominion over the work of our hands and over all the earth. God made man to have authority. Now when man fell, his spirit was separated from God. And that's what spiritual death is described as or defined as in in Scripture. He died spiritually just like uh, God told him that he would. If he disobeyed and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he did. And he died spiritually. His spirit became estranged or separated from God well God's purpose for man didn't change just because man fell one of the things I think is uh, uh, critical for us to recognize is that maybe the greatest terrible result of man's fall is that he lost control of his tone we've looked over in James chapter 2 many times and we've seen what James said about the tongue being set on fire the course of hell. No man can tame the tongue and so forth. He talked about it being a poison. He said that if a man could control his tongue, he, he would be able to control his whole body. Well, the things that James describes about the evil nature of the tongue, that's not the way God made it. That's not the way that Adam and Eve operated before the fall. And since man was spiritually alive, he was joined to God in spirit, an exact copy and duplicate of God himself, which is what the words after our image and in, in our own likeness mean. Prior to the fall, everything that he said and everything that he did, every exercise of authority, which would certainly have been through the words of his mouth because that's how God exercised his authority to create and recreate the earth, So every exercise of authority was from man's spirit through the words that he spoke. But he lost the opportunity or the ability to tap into his spirit when man fell. From that point forward, the only things that, the only sources of information and really faith, the things that he believed in and the things he experienced, Whereas a result of the five physical senses, the information given to him by the five physical senses. Well, we know that's contrary to and opposite of the spirit. The Bible talks about the, the mouth of man being contrary to God and the things of God. But here's God's ultimate plan of redemption being fulfilled. And the thing that it says takes place is the spirit of God makes man a new spirit If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. One translation says a new species of being. I like that. So he's a new creation. Old things pass away and all things become new. God's ultimate plan for Jesus to fulfill the plan of redemption and bring man back into eternal life is to restore the union of man's spirit with God himself. Now we saw that take place in part If we look back to John chapter 20, after Jesus is raised from the dead, he appears to the disciples and breathes on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Well, something changed in them because in Luke chapter 24, about verse 52, I think it is, it says, They returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were openly in the temple worshiping and praising God. Well, when Jesus appears to them in John chapter 20, they're behind closed doors hiding out from the Jews. So something had to change. Something took place to make them willing to go out in public and name the name of Jesus and and claim his resurrection to be the truth. They had to have something that they didn't have before. They had to have received something. But then again, as we read in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, "Wait uh, wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Spirit. So that couldn't have been all that there was. The salvation experience described in John chapter 20 for the, the uh, disciples those very disciples were instructed to wait in Jerusalem until what we know now the day of Pentecost they may not have known exactly when it was going to take place but we know and so between the time of John chapter 20 and the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 the work that God them to do I bet that was a fascinating conversation during that period of time it tells us that Jesus was with him well we're in Acts chapter 2 let's turn back to Acts chapter 1 and let's just read some of it Acts chapter 1 beginning in verse 1 it says the former treatise have I made O Theophilus of all that Jesus began to do and to teach this is Luke saying talking about the gospel that bears his name the reason that he wrote it until, th- until the day in which he was taken up After that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. The word passion just means experience. It's talking about the things surrounding the cross. The events surrounding the cross. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Being seen of them 40 days. Being seen of them 40 days. And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Well, I'd like the tapes of that meeting. Being seen of them 40 days and speaking to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. What do you think he's talking to them about? Jesus knows what's coming. They may not. We don't have any indication that Jesus explained things to them. One of the things that's always struck me as interesting is when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and explains the outpouring of the Holy Ghost... He starts talking about the prophet Joel. Where did he learn about the prophet Joel? Joel certainly not one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. And you could know a lot about the law and the prophets of the Old Testament and, not, and still not be very experienced when it comes to the book of Joel and the things that Joel wrote. Did Jesus tell him about Joel? Did he tell him about the outpouring of the Spirit of God, that it was going to be the fulfillment of what the, the prophet Joel said. Is that how Peter knew these things when he was preaching in Acts chapter 2? We don't know. I guess it could have been. It doesn't seem that the disciples were taken by surprise when they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Maybe that's something Jesus shared with them too. Now, folks, it doesn't detract anything for me in, in, uh, in my estimation It doesn't attract anything if Jesus told them about these things ahead of time and gave them some insight into what to look for. But that doesn't mean that he did. They may have been just as surprised at the outpouring of the Holy Ghost as the people were that heard them speak with other tongues. We don't know. But one thing that we do know is that they immediately understood if Peter's sermon is any indication of the thinking of the rest of the group then what we do know is that they recognize that the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, well, I said experience, I meant to say evidence, the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was speaking in other tongues, they recognize the supernatural uh, aspect of that, and they instantly recognize that it would give them power, or it equipped them to bring others into the family of God. But how much of the church world turns a blind eye to the work of the Holy Ghost through the baptism of the Spirit, which is the very means of empowering the church? How can the church, and I I see this as a critical issue the further and further we go and the more and more we see the change take place, the changes take place in our country when we see more and more of the devil operating according to his, his agenda and his plan openly it used to be people wouldn't even declare what they're doing even if they were doing the same things as we see now, people tried to keep it hidden because they knew that it was wrong now everybody's just right up front with everything and who knows where that's going to take us Paul talked about men getting worse and worse by the Holy Ghost he tells us some of the things that will take place toward the end, how that men, the evil nature of men will be magnified. Well, if men are going to get worse and worse, then the church needs to get stronger and stronger. That's the only way we're going to be able to combat it. It's the only way. So the Bible makes a clear connection between the power of the Holy Ghost to be witnesses or to do the will of God in spreading or preaching the kingdom of God and speaking in other tongues. Now the Bible says we've looked at these scriptures many times you can turn there if you want to. But for example in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 2. Paul tells us one of the great benefits of speaking with other tongues. He said for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. He went on to say, if I speak in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. Now, the Amplified says it this way. If I speak in an unknown tongue, my spirit, or if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth by the Holy Ghost within me, but my understanding is untruthful. Again, he says in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 14, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Jude picks up on this same theme. In the book of Jude, it's just the book of Jude. It's only one chapter, but in verse 20 it says, But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So, again, the writers understood the connection between power or strength, spiritual strength, and speaking with other tongues. They understood that very well. Now, let's look at uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And verse 26 gives us some further information about one of the benefits of being filled with the Spirit and allowing the Spirit of God to help us. Remember Jesus said when he was talking to his disciples in John chapter 14 and 15 and 16, he said, I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter. Well, that word comforter means helper. It means other things too, but he's talking about someone to provide help. Well, supernatural power is help, isn't it? How would that not be help? Here's one of the things he helps us with. Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, the word infirmities means weakness. There are times when it's translated uh, sickness in the New Testament. And according to the context, it's properly translated in some cases. But if, there, if it means weakness, then it should describe what weakness he's talking about. Because we have all kinds of weaknesses that we need the help of God to overcome. Here it tells us what the weakness is. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Here's the weakness, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. We know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us which groaneth with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, the word helpeth is an interesting word because it means to take hold together with someone. It's talking about for the purpose of, uh, of lifting a weight or removing a hindrance. To take hold together. So he's saying the Holy Ghost takes hold together with us when we pray. He doesn't do our praying for us. And we shouldn't want to do our praying without him. But it says he helps us. He takes hold together with us. Now one of the, we could tell stories about experiences that people have had and things that we've heard before and that type of thing. But let's let's cover just a little bit of it for the sake of uh, illustration brother Hagen used to tell a story about uh, a farmland family a farmer family whose daughter was in the mission field her daughter's name was Blanche and you know how things go on the on the farm or at least we've read it or seen it in movies or whatever how that you get up before the crack of dawn you go milk the cows feed the chickens and do all the other kind of stuff everything that needs to be done to keep the animals alive and healthy And so he was out going out to the barn to milk the cows, and he got about halfway there and turned around and came back. Well, his wife was surprised to see him come back in the house because she knew that he would his normal morning routine would take him a couple of hours, and then she had planned to have breakfast ready for him when he came back in. So when he came in, the report was that he looked ashen-faced, just as white as a sheet. And his wife thought something might be wrong with him, thought maybe he was physically ill. And so she asked him, What is it? Are you sick? Do you feel all right? That type of thing. And and he answered and he said, No, it's Blanche. He picked up, obviously from the Holy Ghost, that something was wrong with his daughter or that she was going through something or facing trouble or whatever. So he said, I'm going to have to pray. So he and she, husband and wife, got down on the floor and started praying well several hours went by I think they spent a total of five or six hours between five and six hours on the floor and then all of a sudden just as quickly as the unction to pray had been they got a release in their spirit they didn't know exactly what had happened they didn't know why they were free from the burden old time Pentecostals used to call it praying through and what they meant by that was to pray about something that was on your heart until you got a lightness in your spirit or a, a note of victory or a note of rejoicing. If you stay with something that the Holy Ghost leads you to pray, if you stay with it long enough, you'll find that place of victory. Now, you may not know what the victory is. You may not ever find out what the victory is. But you'll be able to identify in your spirit just as real as the burden was, so is the, the lightness and the victorious nature when you pray through. I personally think we ought to stay prayed through in most situations, and if we will, then it will make us more sensitive to when the Holy Ghost has a special assignment for us. Now, in this case, where they're praying for their daughter, you could well understand Someone that knew about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and knew about praying in other tongues would be easily reached and they would be sensitive to the things going on in their daughter's life. But there's a lot of people out there that might not have a mother and father to pray for them. Who's going to pray for them? I believe that's what this verse is talking about. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities well we don't know how to pray for everybody like we ought to we don't even know who everybody is well they found out sometime later when their daughter either communicated with them wrote a letter to them or whatever she indicated that she had come to the point of death she had contracted some kind of jungle disease or whatever was indigenous to the country she was ministering in and it took her right down to death's door In fact, if I remember the story right, the doctor had given up on her and was pulling the sheet up over her head because she had died. And all of a sudden, she rose up and she got up. She was fine. Whatever sickness she had contracted or disease was completely gone. It was just a miraculous thing. Well, thank God for moms and dads that will pray. But a lot of times, and I remember the first several times I heard that story, And uh, uh, from Brother Hagin, whatever he was preaching on, to to use it as an illustration. One of the things that struck me is how long it took. See, you start talking about praying through, and you start talking about staying with something in prayer. Most people can't stay with something in prayer for more than 15 minutes. And I really think that's one of the reasons why some people that are sensitive to the Holy Ghost are overburdened with prayer. Because they're having to pick up the slack with people that can't stay with it. And it takes some discipline. And it's something that we should discipline ourselves to and train our bodies to do. And I'll tell you the best way to train yourself is when you find the Holy Ghost giving you something to pray. Stay with it until you get that note of victory. That's what made the biggest difference in my prayer life of anything else in this regard. When I hit that note of victory... I wanted to pursue that from that point on. I didn't care how long it took me to get there. I enjoyed that note of victory and that lightness of the Holy Spirit to such a degree that it didn't matter to me what time was or what time things would take. But there are other situations, too, that we could talk about that weren't necessarily so long. I know there was uh, a—I experienced something 15 years ago, maybe— It was a Wednesday, and I was getting ready for the sermon for the Wednesday night service. And as I started getting ready to to do my studying, back then there were no Bible apps and stuff like that, so I had books separated and strewn all over the room, and that's kind of the way that I used to study. Now you can carry your whole wall full of library books on your iPad. But I was just getting ready to study. I kind of had something in mind that I thought the Holy Ghost wanted me to go, a uh, direction that he wanted me to go. And all of a sudden, I had a burden to pray. So I just set aside the other things that I was doing and I began to pray. And there was a real urgency to it too. There are times when the Holy Ghost will give you something to pray that doesn't seem to be as critical or urgent. But there are other times where you just know you've got to pray and you've got to pray now. Well, this is one of those times. And so I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed until I got that note of victory. And it came. It was probably less than 30 minutes, maybe close to 30 minutes before it came. So it wasn't an all-day thing. And just before that note of victory came, I had a flash of someone's face, someone that was part of our church. And I understood that because of the supernatural way that it happened. I understood that that was who I was praying for. I didn't know what I was praying about. I didn't see anything else or get any other information about it whatsoever. But that night at the service, this lady came in, and she came in late, and she was frantic. And so she came up after the service was over. She only made it to about the last 15 or 20 minutes of the service, something like that, maybe. And so after the service, she made a beeline, came straight to me, and she was still almost out of breath. She was almost shaking. And I said, What is it? What happened? And she said that she was pulling out of a parking lot, and there was a kid that had gotten away from her mom and was running to their car behind her car. And she was already starting to back up. And she said, all of a sudden, something. She said, it sounded like an audible voice. I don't know if it was or not. But she said, it was so real, it sounded like an audible voice to me that just yelled, stop. Well, it shook her so much, she stopped. And it was only after she stopped that she saw the mother come running, screaming after the child, and the child come out from behind where her car was. And she said herself, she said, oh, Pastor Mike, God is so good. She said, I was so close to running over that child. And then she burst into tears, and, and just at the, the frightfulness, the frightful nature of running over somebody's child, you can well understand that. And I didn't say anything to her. I didn't say, oh, yeah, I prayed. I didn't say anything to her. I just rejoiced with her that God had spared it, the child and her from the anguish and everything else that would have been associated with it. Well, that didn't take a long time. That was important. That might have been a life and death situation, but that didn't take a long time. I'm willing to give up 30 minutes for something like that, results like that, aren't you? Folks, God knows where we are. He knows where we are in our spiritual growth. He doesn't expect you to be something that you're not or operate in some other way that you haven't developed yourself to be. He knows where we are. Now there's another incident that I I want to relate to you real quickly too. And I'll refer back to the scriptures that we've already quoted. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. That word means to build yourself up. One uh, illustration might be to recharge yourself like a battery. We all know about recharging batteries, don't we, with smartphones and iPads and all that kind of stuff. Nothing's worth less than a dead smartphone. When it doesn't have a charge, it's a dumb phone, I guess. (laughs) So we understand that illustration, and I think it fits pretty well spiritually. But there was a situation uh, before Beth and I had left Brother Hagin's ministry, it was 1983 and there was a seminar that was going on I, I think it was the winter seminar that brother Hagen used to hold there and uh, and as such they didn't have the same healing school prayer school and healing school schedule which was normally held in the afternoon and so at prayer school there was um the person that was leading the the prayer meeting suggested that we get in little groups groups of three or four or something like that and find out if there were any needs that those people had and just to pray about them and that type of thing nothing out of the ordinary nothing unusual but there was a a guy that was part of the group that i was in there were three or four people i guess it seems like it was him and his wife and so i asked you know do you have a prayer request what do you have anything we can pray about I really didn't have anything to pray about, and um, so I asked him, and he said, yeah, he said, we've been in school now for several months, and all this, these months, I haven't been able to, to rent my house or sell my house in Florida, and he said, things are getting to the point of critical mass. I just don't have much money left to make it. If this house doesn't rent or sell, I'm not sure which one he was trying to do. Uh, he must have been trying to sell this house. But anyway, he said, if I, don't, uh, if I don't sell the house soon, he said, I'm going to have to drop out of school and go back home and take care of things. So he said, what I need is I need you guys to agree with me for a buyer for my house. He said, now, it's been on the market for more than six months. Nobody's even looked at it. He said, it's in a real depressed area. The real estate market there is really depressed. He said, but I've got to have top dollar for my house. Well, every time he says something more about the situation and explains the circumstances, I'm thinking, I don't have faith for this. (laughs) Dear Lord, I'm not sure he's in faith either the way he's talking about it. So he went through the whole litany of things that he needed and what was wrong and how bad the problem was, and then he just looked at me. Now, I was not uh, a student at the time. I was working with the ministry, and so he knew that I was working there, and he knew I was... Part of Brother Hagin's crusade team and uh, he looked at me like I had some kind of inside track I'm not sure if that was with God or with Brother Hagin either one but anyway he it's like he just focused his eyes on me well everybody else in the group of four looked over at me too and I'm thinking man I don't know what to do about this I mean it'd be real easy to say thank you Lord for sending him a buyer amen but that wouldn't have done anything and I knew it wouldn't have done anything so I just said this I said well I said I'm not exactly sure how to pray yet about this I'm sure you've claimed a buyer I'm sure you've been standing in faith of praying about it the situation too and he says oh yeah long before we ever came to school to start classes but then he went through it again he said people just aren't buying houses in that part of the 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 state that I'm in so I said all right well let's do this The Bible says the Holy Ghost will help us to pray for things that we don't know how to pray for like we ought to. Things we can't see, things we don't know and such. So let's just pray in the Holy Ghost for a few minutes and see if he gives us some direction. Well folks we started praying and it was not 45 seconds later when there was something that came down on me I knew it wasn't of me because like I said I knew I wasn't in faith about this. So it had to be something that was supernatural but something came on me and just after those 30 or 45 seconds of praying in a, other tones, I had the faith for, for him to have a buyer. And so I just spoke it out loud. I said, just, uh, I interrupted uh, speaking in tongues. And I just said out loud, Thank you, Father, for sending this brother a buyer so that he can finish his school year and so that he can c- uh, continue in the work that you have for him to do, the training for the work that he, you have for him to do. Thank you, Father, that you sent him a buyer to give him top dollar. Amen. And I opened my eyes, and everybody's eyes were looking at me real bugged out like that. And for the first time, I thought, oh, dear Lord, what did I do? <laughs> well, the, the end of the story is the next day, he came running up to me in the hallway. And he said, you remember when we prayed? You remember me? You remember we prayed about my house? And I said, oh, yeah, I remember you. He said, well, we just got a buyer for our house. They want to close in a week. Everything will be saved. I can continue school and do what God wants me to do. Well, folks, I know for a fact that I didn't have that on my own. And it was kind of unusual because in normal situations, I wouldn't think I don't have faith for something. I might recognize that I didn't have faith for it, but I sure wouldn't think it, and I I certainly wouldn't say it, even though in this case I didn't say it either. But there was something, a part of the supernatural nature of it was what I knew that I didn't have to begin with. And that made it real easy to see that what I did wind up having was of the Holy Ghost. Folks, the Lord dealt with me about something not too long ago. I was praying for something that was bigger than us, it was regarding the church. And I was kind of going through the motions. Now, going through the motions in faith is fine. There are times when you do that. Maybe most of the time we have to do that. But I had the Holy Ghost tell me something. And he said this. He said, one word prompted and inspired by me is worth spending hours and hours and hours in prayer. And I took that to heart. I started realizing that what the Holy Ghost was trying to do is to show me and and reveal to me that his impressions, his unction the supernatural help that he brings is not always an all-day prayer meeting. It can just be a word or two. And really, I thought back to this thing where this guy's house was concerned. The prayer that I prayed, it couldn't have been more than 15 or 20 seconds. I just said what it was that we believed. I just said what it was that we expected. And it brought supernatural results the next day. Now, folks, it couldn't have been just me having some kind of super-duper prayer life and that's why it worked because I wasn't aware of a super-duper prayer life at that point but instead it were, it, they were words we spoke words inspired by the Holy Ghost and the word of the Holy Ghost is just like the written word that's sitting in your lap it's full of life and power that's how Paul said it he said the word of God is quick and powerful What that really means is full of life and power. Full of life and power. One word given to you by the Holy Ghost can bring about supernatural results. Just one word. Now, I'm not trying to talk people out of praying a long time. There's still a great blessing and a great great benefit to praying for however long the Holy Ghost gives you unction and the impression to pray. But there are some quick works too. There are some things where God does a quick work. There are some things that it looks like he takes forever. But there are some things that just one word from the Holy Ghost can make a difference and make the change. Make every bit of the change and every bit of the difference. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Because we don't always know how to pray as we ought well, what do we do about those things where we don't know how to pray as we ought? I learned back in 1983 that one of the best ways to start off praying is to pray in other tongues for a warm-up, if nothing else, and so that you get dire- get direction on what He wants you to pray. Now, in most cases when we speak, of praying in other tongues. We talk about some of the, um, uh, the examples where the Lord reveals, or we find out or hear about something later, and attach that to what we were praying before at a different point in time but most of the time you're never going to know most of the time it's going to be a mystery most of the time when we speak in other tongues we are speaking divine secrets we're praying divine secrets well God doesn't reveal secrets just because you prayed them there are some things that are kept secret we had a situation just here a couple of weeks ago where there was somebody that was coming to the church. I think it was a Wednesday night service because they were going to put their kids in the Awana program that we started just a few weeks back. And uh, they weren't part of our church, didn't know too much about us, so they came to a Wednesday night service. Well, Wednesday night services, there's no flash, there's no fanfare, there's no, not like there is in other services. But we are just who we are. We don't try to put on to be something else. We don't try to make something a big production. If God wants it to be a big production, let him do it. And it always turns out to be, or most always, just turns out to be a teaching message just like it is tonight. And so we've been praying for nine or ten years, I guess, for the glory of the Lord to be seen and known upon us. For the latter rain, the outpouring of the Spirit of God relative to the last days on the earth, relative to the precious fruit of the earth that Jesus is waiting for, James 5, 7 says. And this person came in from the outside. I I, I, I haven't met this person. I don't even know who it was. But they told somebody that got the testimony back to me. They were just really impressed with the service. But the reason they were impressed, it wasn't because of my great teaching or dazzling personality or. Which we all know is so very important for me. For the future of our church. But they made a comment that they'd never been in a church service where the presence of God was so real. Now folks, we didn't have any move of God. We didn't have anything going on. It was just the teaching of the word just like it is tonight. But I wonder how many things we take for granted because we're used to them. See, people that aren't used to things, at least in this instance, this situation, they recognize the difference. They recognize that there was a difference from churches that they were familiar with. Now, I'm not not saying that our church would have the greatest presence of God that there could be or ever was or whatever, but it was certainly more than they were experienced or that they were used to experiencing. That had that had an impact on me. It really did. And I'll tell you the impact that it had on me. We didn't change anything about what we've been praying without me saying something about it tonight, and this is the first time I have said anything about it. Nobody would be able to tell a difference one way or the other in what we do or how we do it. But I've had greater confidence praying for the glory of the Lord since then. I've had a greater confidence. These are... When, we, when I pray about the glory of the Lord, when I pray about the, the outpouring of the Spirit of God relative to the last days, when I pray those scriptures that the Bible gives us about these things, I'm more expectant than I used to be. I guess I just got used to how things were. And I didn't notice anything. I didn't, I didn't uh, experience anything supernatural out of it so I didn't even know that it was going on I didn't even know it was operating in such a way that somebody that wasn't used to it would see and know I think we need to be careful that we don't take for granted the supernatural aspect that God is already doing in the church now we'll always want more We'll never get to a place where we're satisfied and say, well, okay, Lord, that's it. We don't need any more outpouring of the Holy Ghost. No more signs and wonders necessary. We're good. That's never going to be the case for any of us, is it? But we've got to be careful that we don't take for granted what we have. God's done some wonderful things among us, folks. God does wonderful things for us every week. We don't always hear about them. We don't always know what's going on with somebody else. But God's Word never fails. And if there's one thing we're built on, it is the Word of God. And it never comes up short. It never fails to produce results. They may not be the results we expect them to be. They may not be results that we even hear or know about. But somebody else certainly would and does. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. Folks, think about how, well, I don't know what word to use. I'm not sure important really says it. But we'll, we'll start with that. Think about how important it is that we've been made new creatures. We've been restored to union, spiritual union with our Heavenly Father. Think about how radical that is we've been saved a long time so it's just like well yeah we're saved but that salvation cost jesus a lot that salvation cost jesus so much that we shouldn't take it for granted and then the outpouring of the holy ghost the baptism of the spirit look at the importance of that in our lives we've got to be careful that we don't take those things for granted We've got to realize or should realize the important nature to be able to speak from a spirit that is reunited with God, remade, recast in his image and in his likeness. How important that is. How important that is. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Isn't it a sad thing that so much of the church world, and I'm talking about the part that's spirit-filled, isn't it a sad thing that we have to spend so much time trying to encourage people to use the supernatural thing that they've been given? The Bible says, in the early days of the church, in the book of Acts, when it talks about all the exploits and the things that are taking place, well, let me, let me show this to you rather than just refer to it. Look with me to Acts chapter 6. We'll close with this. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. I don't know if you know that or not, folks, but when the church started, there was such racial and ethnic bias and prejudice between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was staggering, and it was much greater than anything that we know of today. Between the Jews and the Gentiles, so many of the Jews had been taught to hate the Gentiles. So many of the Gentiles had been taught to hate the Jews. And so to think that they're going to church together and sitting side by side. That was an extreme situation for the day and times that the Bible records. And you can well see that not everybody was being treated the same. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and search the tables. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. Look at verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I wonder what kind of prayer they're talking about. I wonder. Folks, if we look at the ministry of Paul, Remember Paul told the Corinthians that he prayed in tongues more than all of them put together. Paul tells us a little bit about his prayer life. He tells us about all the experiences he had, the persecution and adversities and being stoned and beaten and jailed and imprisoned and all that kind of stuff. But then he says, the one thing that cometh upon me daily. He said, all the other stuff is external, but there's one thing that I cannot escape. And he's talking about something that torments him, or at least gives him cause to worry. He had to learn not to worry just like the rest of us, I'm sure. But he said, the one thing that cometh upon me daily is the care of all the churches. He recognized that the works that he had planted were targets for the enemy, targets for the devil to destroy. But we've got record of the prayers that he prayed for him. We've got record of the prayers that he prayed for the Ephesian church in Ephesians 1 and 3. We've got record of the prayers that he prayed for the Colossians in chapter 1 of the letter that he wrote to them. We have record of what he wrote to the Philippians about praying for them in Philippians chapter 1. Now if he wasn't there, how does he know what to pray for? He's got to be praying in the Holy Ghost. And, folks, I personally believe that the reason that he had the revelation that he did, at least part of the reason, that he had the revelation that he did about what the benefit of speaking in other tongues was all about is because he spent so much time praying in other tongues for the churches that he he planted and started. You start praying, and God will start showing you things. You give yourself to prayer, and God will give you revelation that you never imagined. I'm not talking about something far out and weird and wacky. It's all revelation that's according to the word. Well, Peter seemed to understand that too. There's a lot of information in the book of Acts about the power of God operating in Peter's ministry. Well, he's the one that understood maybe before the others about the power of the Holy Ghost being linked up with speaking in other tongues. He's the only one we have record of the power of God being owned to such a degree that his shadow healed people. You've got the powerhouse within you. You've got the Holy Ghost that's always there and ready to help us. You've got the power of God to be a witness in whatever regard or whatever aspect God has for you may be different for me than what he has for you, and it may be different for you than what he has to somebody next to you. But whatever he has for you, the power of God is available, resident within you, waiting to give you utterance when you speak and pray in other tongues. That awesome power is what created the world. That power that's in you is the creative power that made this earth realm from nothing. And God saw fit for it to live and dwell in you and me. Well, what are we going to do with it? We need to pray and find out what we should do with it. Thank God for the privilege of speaking and praying in other tongues. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being our helper. We thank you for guiding us into all truth. We thank you for bringing to our remembrance all things that Jesus said, and we thank you for showing us things to come. We bless you, Father, for your great plan of redemption, and Lord Jesus, we magnify you for fulfilling it and carrying it out.